Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Join Ryan Patrick Cooper and Amanda LeClaire of Culture Shift at Axel Brewing Company, Livernois Tap, to celebrate spring in Detroit. It's an after-work happy hour from 5 to 7 p.m. on May 10th, and you can win tickets to some hot upcoming shows and meet other Culture Shift listeners while grooving to a playlist that was curated by Amanda and Ryan. For more information, go to WDET.org. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about the Q-Line one year into its operations. There are numbers that suggest it is falling far short of expectations. Uh, The big question, though, is what does that mean? Does that mean it is a failure? Does that mean we ought to maybe think about ending the Q-Line, stopping its running up and down Woodward Avenue, or ought we be a little more patient and wait to see if ridership grows? We're going to talk with Chastity Pratt-Dossie, who had an important story in Bridge Magazine this week, talking about the numbers that come out of the first year of operations from the Q-Line. We'll also talk with Laura Bliss, who's a staff writer at City Lab. She covers transportation, infrastructure, and the environment. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. It'll get started at right about half past the hour. But up first today, Nathan Bomey covered Detroit's bankruptcy as a reporter for the Detroit Free Press, and he wrote the book on that saga, Detroit Resurrected to Bankruptcy and Back. In his new book, though, Bomey takes on the loss of common factual information and how that loss of truth led to the discord that helped produce Donald Trump's presidency. But it goes deeper than that. Bomey outlines how our behaviors and our expectations, and in some cases, even our happiness, are becoming shaped and controlled by social media and modern communication. Nathan Bomey is a reporter with USA Today, formerly of the Detroit Free Press. He is author of After the Fact, The Erosion of Truth and the Inevitable Rise of Donald Trump. It'll be released this Tuesday, May 8th. Uh, Nathan Bomey joins me now to talk about his book and about the power of the truth. Nathan, welcome to Detroit Today. So glad to be back, Stephen. Thanks yes, for having me. It's good to see you. Um, let's start with let's start with the title, the inevitable mm-hmm. rise sure. of Donald Trump. That is a really <laughs> really freighted phrase. It almost it almost uh, presumes that uh, this was going to happen. Uh, Without, without, uh, without fail, given the the current uh, conditions that that we see in terms of truth and dialogue, uh, talk about why you feel that word is is the right word to describe what we're seeing right now. Well, I, I think that the case I tried to build in the book is that we now live in a post fact era in which the facts don't necessarily govern our discourse. And you can see that, obviously, in social media. You can see that in the decline of journalism, the increase of more hyperbolic coverage in, throughout the media. You can see that in the ideological politics that govern society. And, and the case that I try to make is that someone like Trump was inevitable. Perhaps not Donald Trump himself, mm-hmm. but someone who doesn't who doesn't adhere to the facts and is, in fact, willing to skew them outwardly to get their way. And I think this goes both ways. It's not just a Republican thing. It could also work for Democrats. This is, uh, I think what Donald Trump realized was he could capitalize on the conditions that were already in place. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you feel like that is a real difference, I guess, uh, in in our society? Or is it something that we're just 
more acutely aware of because of social media, because of the ability to spend, if you want, uh, all day, every day, looking at uh, information and news and exchanging information with other people. I mean, is it is it a function of of what's visible, or is it a fu- is it a fundamental shift in the way that we value fact and truth? Well, I I do think that we can agree that facts have never necessarily been supreme in politics. I mean, no, it, lying is not new. That is something no. that is obviously common and has happened throughout you know the ages. But uh, but I think that what has changed is this transfer of trust that's happened across society from news professionals in particular to algorithms and social media and consequently our friends and family. Mm-hmm. If you look at what Facebook has done, the sheer scale I think people dramatically underestimate. This is more powerful platform than any single media outlet that's ever existed. Mm-hmm. More than 2 billion people using it on a monthly basis. Which And so it colors the perception of how, our perception of the world, of each other, of the news. And so um, I think what, and what they have done is they have put our friends and our family in charge of what we see. And that is a big shift because just 15 years ago, it was really dramatic. It was primarily the newspapers, the TV, the professional journalists who were trained to authenticate facts mm-hmm. and to Im- ensure that if there's misinformation, that it's either squashed or that it's fact-checked. And so um, now, although Facebook is trying to take some measures to you know correct things, I think the problem is that the cat may be out of the bag and they may be trapped in a situation in which they have put us all in charge of our own facts. And the problem is it's very human tendency to skew the truth. Yeah. You know, I, I, I often wonder whether uh, whether what we're seeing with the development of social media and the way it's changing uh, politics and culture and interpersonal relationships, I, I, I do sort of wonder sometimes if, if it is fundamentally different from other advances in media, right? So if you go back to the dawn of, of this country, for instance, and, and the, the beginning of the use of the printing press for mass distribution of, of newspapers. I mean, uh, if you were to go back to that time and see what politicians, for instance, would say about each other mm-hmm. uh, in the press back, then it would be really different. I mean, uh, if you go to the dawn of television or radio, I think uh, y- you also see these kinds of fits and starts that that uh, that accompany th- those developments. And so in some ways, I always question whether what we're seeing now is just another iteration of those things or whether whether it's worse, whether social media, because it's so democratized, right, as, right. as you put it out, as you point out, you can decide for yourself uh, what you take in and what you don't. And, and, and social media has the effect of making you feel like you're informed uh, uh, because you read, uh, you know, the things that you see on your social media feed. Um, but is that a fundamental difference? Is there something fundamentally different about social media and the way it's cast us forward in communication and discourse than other technology in the past? Well, one thing you mentioned was the printing press, which mm-hmm. I think is a good thing to mention. When I, ta- I talked to one expert for this book who sort of said, hey, you look back when the printing press hit, it was massively disruptive mm-hmm. to society. Mm-hmm. And it took people many, many decades, if not more, to really adjust to 
the fact that now information was was going out there to the masses. And we have not had more than, what, 10 or 15 years Mm -hmm. to adjust to the fact that social media and Google have reoriented the way we interact with information. So I think that that is is key. But I think with regard specifically to your question, I think what social media and Facebook in particular have done have enabled this grouping tendency that Mm -hmm. the printing press or TV, you know, didn't necessarily do that they they broadcasted information, but social media has made it easier for us to band together. And I think one example that you have to look at, because it's not political, is the anti-vaccination world. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because they actually there's actually some arch religious conservatives in there. There's also some arch liberals in there. And so they're not it's not a political ideology. It's actually an ideology formed around this this distrust of the medical community or mm-hmm. politics, but they can band together on social media and on, you know, online communities to basically be able to then reinforce their own facts, reinforce their misinformation about the dangers of vaccines, which of course are safe. And so that then, you know, allows them to sort of they, they get this sense of togetherness. And I, I talked to some psychologists and sociologists for this book, and it's a very human thing to want friends. To, yes. I mean, and so if you, you, you look, you're searching for that, you can find that anywhere you want online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Nathan Bomey, a reporter with USA Today, formerly with the Detroit Free Press. He is the author of a book called After the Fact, The Erosion of Truth and the Inevitable Rise of Donald Trump. It'll be released this Tuesday, May 8th. We are talking about the power of truth, the relative power of truth now versus in the past and the role that social media play in uh, in either girding or eroding that power. Are we in a post-fact era, in fact? Are we in a, in a time when the truth doesn't matter as much as it used to? And if that's so, what do we do to sort of get ourselves back in a more rational space? Also, did social media and the use of social media cause the rise of Donald Trump or a candidate like Donald Trump uh, to become president of the United States. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Also, give us an idea of what your media habits look like with social media? Do you use Facebook and uh, Twitter to uh, shape your news diet every every day? If you do, how do you make sure that you're getting lots of different sides of the issues? How do you make sure that you're not living in uh, kind of a bubble, an ideological bubble or a social bubble because of the way that your social media is uh, constructed? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Nathan, one of the other things I think is really interesting about what we're dealing with right now is the role that Facebook and Twitter play in in, in all of this. And You get into this a lot in your book. They are not news producers. They are not producers of information. Uh, They are platforms. uh, And that's very different from the past, whereas newspapers were providers of information, radio and TV uh, as well. Uh, it, It makes it harder, I think, to hold them accountable for the things that we see developing. And I thought, when Mark Zuckerberg uh, went to Congress and testified recently, 
and one of the senators asked him, you know, what is what is Facebook? Uh, it was the the question that seemed to confound him the most. And he said, uh, you know, it's a lot of different things, and it's something different every couple of years. You know, they're trying to keep up with what it is, and I think that gets to some of the difficulty in trying to figure out. Uh, what we're supposed to be doing with this thing that, you know, he creates in a dorm room, uh, but now has more than a billion users around the planet. Yeah, actually, you know, I had the chance to talk to a few Facebook insiders and Mm -hmm. former executives for this book and trying to get a sense for how he is, you know, how he is actually approaching this and how the company views itself. Of course, he famously had that misstep where he said Facebook's not a media company, it's a technology company. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is misleading at best because the reality is that this is the this is a company that probably controls the way people see the world more than any other specific platform. And so I think that, you know, he is understanding now that that was a mistake and sort of has backed off of that assertion, but is still not willing to take responsibility for deciding what is and is not true. For mm-hmm. example, they're holding they're conducting surveys and giving pe- giving users the chance to decide what news they do and do not trust and then they're going to base algorithmic ranking of stories based on what the users say. Mm-hmm. That's problematic because you and I both know that people are going to say they trust the outlets that agree with them. Right. And uh, you know, one of the things I try to say in this book is hey, we can all have disagreements politically, but we have to be able to have conversations about and encounter material that we disagree with. You know, I really believe you have to at least consider the other side or at least be willing to um, read some information that maybe contradicts your beliefs before you can really adequately assess what's out there. So, uh, but unfortunately, that I don't see that happening. And the other change that Facebook just recently made is to empower groups now. Mm-hmm. They want groups that, you know, they, he believes that this will be a healthy thing, that democracy needs more groups. Society has, um, I mean, if you read like Bowling Alone, for example, you know, <laughs> talks about increasingly individualistic society, which is true. Mm-hmm. So he says, well, let's let's do groups. Well, the problem with that is, again, it just makes things worse online. It allows people to go to their own islands and then we get more polarized. And then then we definitely aren't listening to each other yeah. and we aren't considering each other's facts. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tell us how you use social media and what effect you think social media is having on public discourse and politics in our society. Jonathan in Redford, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah, you know, I've recently, I got rid of all social, I wasn't an Instagram or Twitter person. I used Facebook a lot and it had kind of become like an addiction for me, right? Like (laughs) first thing I'm checking in the morning, last thing I'm checking at night. And, you know, I was, it was affecting my, you know, if this person didn't like, my post, mm-hmm. it didn't matter if they were family or friends. I'm like, oh, you know, they're mad at me or, or something like this. And so I deleted it and I got off and I've been happier ever since. And I, I think the thing that specifically with Facebook, it's a, it's creating this false sense of self, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very vanity driven um, <laughs> yeah. an app. And it's like, you know, I, I go on a vacation or I do one thing that's a really exciting thing and I want to make this appear how I am as a person, you know, that, you know, if I go kayaking one time, you know, I, it's, I don't put anything about the driving and the monotonous mundane stuff to get to do that. It's all about making myself seem like I'm this grand adventurer. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, showing pictures of your, your things and whatnot, but it's a false sense of self. Mm -hmm. And 
and it becomes to the point where it's not only about creating an image, but it's it's affecting the relationship status. And I, I watched this video one time that talk, talked about how <laughs> Facebook was a variable uh, reinforcement schedule. It's, yeah. it's an addiction-driven huh. thing that um, the producers and the creators of Facebook knew this when they created it. You know, right. they want you to get that dopamine hit when you see the lights <laughs> and whatnot. But it's tearing the fabric of of social relationships apart because one, you have false expectations. You know, you want you. It's no longer about having your your closest fans and friends and family that you talk to on a day-to-day basis um, liking your things. It has to be, it's more and more unrealistic expectations. You know, I know Jonathan, Jonathan, I I really appreciate uh, the call and the comments there. Uh, You know, this idea of the invented self is, is fueled by Facebook in particular, but all of social media. If you think of the things that we choose to project on on these platforms about ourselves, that is absolutely part of the problem. And you talk about that. I do. And yeah, I have to agree with you. you know, to agree with the caller because, in fact, we're we're really on the same wa- wavelength here. The genesis of this book, actually, Stephen, came from a very similar uh, observation that I made as the caller that you know we are portraying our lives on social media in a way that does not reflect reality. Mm-hmm. And so this was two years ago when I sort of was realizing, seeing more and more friends portraying them, you know, their lives and again, ways that really, it's not really true. And then <laughs> at the same time, Donald Trump was trampling, you know, through the campaign and you know, trampling the truth. And I said to myself, why are we surprised that someone could get away with skewing the facts in politics if we're all skewing the facts about our daily lives? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's that was the genesis of this book. But I agree. And in fact, research actually backs this up, backs up the caller in, in the sense that it shows the more you use Facebook in particular, the more depressed you get. And and I look at it and I think, you know, if you're depressed or you feel isolated or you're angry, then you're much more susceptible to being manipulated. Yes. And I think that many politicians on both sides are preying upon people's vulnerabilities. And so I do think that that plays in. In fact, so, you know, hey, I'm not this is not to sell the book, but chapter five is what you want to read because <laughs> right. that is all about what you were just talking about. But, but so then the question again becomes... What's the pushback to that? What's the answer to mm-hmm. that? That's not really Facebook's fault, yeah. I guess. It's it's a function or a dynamic of the thing that Mark Zuckerberg created. But they're not they're not doing that. We are right. doing that to right. ourselves. Right, we are. And I, I, I think you're right. And so I think we can't just say, hey, this is all Facebook's problem. This is a very human tendency. But I when I thought about it and talked to some people who use social media avidly and others who don't, um, and actually looking at some of the research, I came away with the conclusion that uh, social media that that promotes more direct communication is much healthier than the the type that promotes the sort of more broadcasting communication. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I I didn't want to write a book that was all about confirmation bias, just confirming everything I already believed. And so there were a few things uh, that I actually started with where I changed my mind during the reporting of this book. And one of them was I used to think 
Snapchat was ridiculous and terrible for society and, and silly in a way. <laughs> I actually walked away thinking it's a much healthier platform than um, many other outlets like Facebook because it actually promotes much more uh, direct and natural communication. And yes, it's silly in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but it's much more natural than to interact with someone on a one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two, one-on-three basis than it is one-on-200 or one-on-500 because it's basically like a digital podium when you're on Instagram, for example. And, and I talked to this one student, she was in high school, she was recounting a high school experience, but she was in college, and she was talking about how, how in high school um, they would download apps that would give each other fake likes on Instagram just to boost themselves. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, it was unhealthy, and, and, and it, it caused us, uh, it caused me to feel bad about myself. And again, I think that speaks to those vulnerabilities that then make us uh, susceptible to manipulation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Jonathan, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Lauren in Hamtramck. Lauren, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I would say, so my question is, it seems like we're focusing a lot on how Facebook is informing ideologies. But my question would be, what about the television? Because aren't people forming their own, aren't they watching or not watching certain stations mm -hmm. based on their likes and interests? So mm -hmm. um, I feel like maybe we're getting um, caught up in, in Facebook and putting a lot of concentration there. And I, I just don't feel like we're asking the right questions. And then my last point would be, um, I, I wonder who we're targeting when we're talking about Facebook, because I do, I'm a millennial, I would say. So I do feel like older generations are definitely still very active on Facebook. But um, I would say, like, I mean, I, I'm not looking at, like, statistics or anything, but I would say that a lot of um, millennials and, and definitely the generation before millennials, they're not, they're not on Facebook. They, they don't really, they're not as much using Facebook as they are using things like Snapchat and things like that. So I guess my point, you know, to recap is just that um, I don't know. I just don't know yeah. if we're. I think we're focusing a lot on Facebook, and I interesting. I, I don't know if that's exactly the right questions to yeah. ask. Uh, a great, great question, Lauren. I'm I'm glad you called and and asked. Uh, let's talk about the relationship between old world media and social media first. Is the television reflecting some of these dynamics that are being shaped? Uh, by Facebook and Twitter. And I think what she's referring to there is the sort of cable news sure. balkanization that we see, you know, Fox News on one side, MSNBC purportedly on the other. Uh, is that part of the problem or is that a different iteration? Yeah, I, I do think, no, it's a good question. And I don't want to act like this is all Facebook's fault or something like that. In fact, that's actually only a part of this book. I, I actually take the inward gaze in the sense that we have to look at our own industry. Uh, news media and have contributed to this. I do think that we cannot be excused because unfortunately, I do think that many outlets are chasing hits or they're chasing ratings in the case of the cable channels. And that is leading to, unfortunately, a lack of nuance in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but if you look at readership data, for example, on news stories, the data is very disturbing because what it shows is that people often only take a few seconds on the story, literally only reading a paragraph or two before they click off. And it's very rare, very rare for people to actually read an entire story. And I think it's also probably very rare for someone to watch an entire TV program to get the full scope of things. You know, people are busy, yes, but they're also distracted. And um, so that leads to a lack of depth that leads to, and, and unfortunately, I think we as the news media industry have responded 
by sort of feeding that and not really trying to go in depth, instead sort of chasing after it. Obviously, there are actors that have been much better. I mean, you look at some of the national outlets that I think have been good. But the reality is that, unfortunately, the news media, because in some ways it's facing this existential crisis, Mm -hmm. has responded by compromising some of its principles. So I don't think that we can be exonerated. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, Lauren, thanks very much for the call. And the question, let's go to Todd in Dearborn. Todd, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks Good. for taking my call. Mm-hmm. See, I was just, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, a documentary uh, by on the BBC by Adam Curtis called uh, Hypernormalization, but it really showed how um, a lot of these, this, this campaign to disinform the public uh, and create a distrust in authority um, started with, uh, you know, kind of inside groups, uh, well, groups infiltrating groups and creating this echo chamber of disinformation. But, I mean, as we've seen it, I know that you mentioned the uh, immunization campaign or anti, anti-vax campaign, mm-hmm. yeah, but I've also seen it in so many other weird formats, <laughs> social media, flat earthers and whatnot, almost to the point that, you know, there's no common... Uh, grasp of, of, of what, you know, things of long, long, long held beliefs, uh, uh, you know, and things that are just generally applied science right, in, in right. society. Yeah. Uh, great, great question, uh, Todd. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think climate change would be a good example of what you're talking about, you know, where the energy industry in particular, Exxon, Heartland Institute, various individual PR people and surreptitious actors, many of whom we probably will never know, over the course of 10 to 20 to 30 years, planted seeds and spread misinformation about climate change to the extent that, um, you know, you see that the belief in the reality of climate change and the fact that it's man-made and the fact that we have to to do something about it has diminished among Republicans in particular. And what's interesting, I, I found this amazing study mm-hmm. uh, that said that it, in, in 1972, uh, conservatives were actually slightly more likely to trust science than liberals. And now the, the, it's, you know, obviously that, that has eroded. And and so the point being that it wasn't always like this, you know, and, and I, something has changed. Um, and, you know, so unfortunately, yeah, I do think that there have been very strategic misinformation campaigns that have occurred. And the latest, of course, is Russia now. And we should expect that that will continue. And I I would expect, frankly, in 2020 to see fake news coming from all sides. Mm. I I would expect that there will probably be some that will target Donald Trump this time. Mm. Because why not? There are incentives now to spread misinformation and not many disincentives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Todd, thanks again for the call and the questions. Let's go to Jacob in Dearborn Heights. Jacob, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, I was wondering, you just mentioned uh, you know, climate change. Um, I was wondering if there's a point where um, reality has more of a foothold than uh, fake information or um, misinformation. Yeah. If there's a point in the future where, you know, if we're talking about climate change, where, you know, cities are being flooded um, regularly, if where there's a precipice where, you know, there's there's it won't have little, no like certain you know facts won't any misinformation have any right uh, right you know Jacob uh, great question and, and it's a it's a sort of what next kind of uh, question Nathan is there a point where the culture and the value of truth in the culture uh, which is of course propelled democracy in this country for a, a long time at least in the the, the sort of kindest. A rendition of, of American history. Is there a point where that will resurface and assert itself 
uh, and push back against these platforms. In other words, will the culture will the culture catch up to the technology in a way that will change that technology so that it has to conform better to these norms? I think the only way that that will happen probably is if we have a concerted effort to probably overhaul our education system to try to basically make authenticating information a key source, key part of what students do. And not just that, but I talk a little bit in the book about the importance of learning how to learn because that's the only way to actually be able to get out there and to tell, you know, to be able to sort fact from fiction. And actually, maybe this is self-serving, but I make the case we need to do some journalism education in mm-hmm. K-12, through but also colleges that maybe everyone isn't meant to be a journalist, but everyone <laughs> should know journalism principles yeah. because what it is is just questions your sources and you know basically getting multiple people to or sources to back up whatever you're trying to prove or whatever you're trying to validate and I think that unfortunately schools are so focused on skill specific outcomes now that they're not really teaching like liberal arts or things that actually make people you know, give them the, these critical thinking skills and without those I don't see any reason why things would get better in fact one of the things I would say is that we're at a risk of things getting much worse because there's this fake there's technology coming that'll make it easier to spread fake video and sure. photos and audio. So there's a big risk of this getting uh, much worse. Yeah. Okay, Nathan Bomey, reporter with USA Today, formerly of the Detroit Free Press and author of After the Fact, The Erosion of Truth and the Inevitable Rise of Donald Trump. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. This is great. Thank you so much, Stephen. Always good to see you. Also, WDET is sponsoring a series of events this year in partnership with local libraries. They're called Give Me Some Truth, and they help you learn about finding truthful information online and in your communities. You can learn more at WDET.org slash truth. We're going to try and get Nathan back as a speaker at one of those events. So I look forward to that later in the year. All right, up next, have you ridden the Q line? We're going to talk about how successful the Q line has been in its first year or how unsuccessful it has been in its first year. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. And we, you can listen to us whenever you are ready. We'll be back with more Detroit Today in a little bit.